Hey guys, welcome back to Screenworthy, brought to you by The Mind Refinery. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Bodanis. This week, we're joined by Fader Sajay Elder to talk about the impact of Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you have time, follow The Mind Refinery on social media. And now, on with the show. All right, here today to discuss the impact of Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You, our Mind Refinery creative, Coburn Blair. How's it going? And very special guest who has written for such uh, small publications as BuzzFeed, uh, Complex, Vice, and is currently writing for Fader, is the exceptionally talented Sajay Elder. Sajay, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, people, let's get into this. I May Destroy You has captured both audience and critical acclaim. Uh, The story is based on uh, Cole's own experience uh, with rape. Close friend Janelle Monae, when talking about Cole, said, It's rare that you see a black woman writing, directing, and starring in their own TV show centered around the trauma she experienced. This was something new. This was something all its revolutionary own. With all of that said, what were your initial reactions to this show why did this uh strike a chord with you and you feel audiences uh i think at least for me to kind of kick it off um i just felt it was so visceral in the way that everything was portrayed uh there was a lot of nuances it wasn't like your typical sexual assault or sexual survivor story there wasn't like a clear line in the sand of anything and it was all it felt like you were living in her head throughout the show, right? Like there's, you'd have these kind of like sequences that like weren't necessarily, you didn't know if they were happening or not. You couldn't really tell what was real, what wasn't real. And you were just as affected by what had happened to her as the character Arabella was. And so you were sitting and visiting in this time period and it was uncomfortable at times. It was tense uh, it was a lot of fun at times, but you were never, you were kind of always on e- uneasy and always on edge um, and experiencing her experiences at the same time. Yeah, I think what struck me the most about it was the fact that even in those uncomfortable moments, and obviously the subject matter is heavy, um, I, I think that there was still comedy within it. Like, you know, just thinking about her previous show and it being a comedy I don't think I knew what to expect at first when I when I started watching it, but within you know this really heavy and dense subject matter, there was still moments where there's like you know dark humor and dry humor, and it was kind of it kind of offered me it kind of gave me like a balance, I suppose, which is which to me is just like a testament to her talent that she was able to kind of like broach these subjects that are uncomfortable and traumatics talk about but still bring this like not lightness to it but just kind of you know have us focus on her and terry's friendship and just kind of like you know these humorous moments you know i think her performance was kind of the first thing that really in this because i mean if you look at chewing gum it's so comedic it like is she it's it's really kind of a tour de force in terms of comedic performances but and, and it kind of exists in the you know the finest tradition of english comedy um but in this performance, you know, she still had that wit, that razor sharp wit, and but she was also heartbreaking, distant, intense. I thought that she, like, she really, really, really displayed the the amount of versatility she has. Um, I was floored by its ability to be breathtakingly surreal at moments. 
and then starkly real in others. You know, I enjoyed the way Euphoria used surrealism, but I kind of um, felt this was a little bit more my, you know, for my aesthetic. You know, it's beautifully shot. Um, everything for the way it portrays modern life is on point. You know, it's both frenetic and beautiful and rugged. And I think the big thing about it is it attacks serious social issues like race, sex, and consent without turning the, the, uh, the discussion into like this big morality tale. So, you know, it's important to create work that says something bigger, but when it's pandering, it kind of just trivializes the message and almost co-ops it. But, you know, she really kind of adopts all these ideas into the, into the artistic framework. It doesn't feel generic. We've heard things, you know, we've seen things about consent before, but nothing I feel like as sharp and expressive as this. I mean, like, she's an auteur in every sense of the word. She writes, directs, she acts. Um, there's not a whole lot of human beings who can do that uh, while trying to portray her own trauma on top of things and, like, how that, you know, affected her. And I also love that they also, you know, dip into the exploitation of black artists and, you know, when you see these, like, yuppie publishers, you know, and managers trying to, like, being like, oh, and I mean, even the, um, the, the other, you know, the publisher of color who's like, oh, the rape, the rape, you know, it becomes exploitive and it's a really kind of just the amount of levels that they are able to get through on this is, is absolutely, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Speaking of consent, so like the the series explores consent, although this isn't the first time, as I said, that's been explored, you know, it's been lauded for its originality. Why do you think it's so original compared to other things that have broached this subject? And how do we feel Cole's experiences drive this? I think what makes it original and different is kind of building on what you what you mentioned that Janelle Monet said earlier is just kind of it's a black woman speaking about her trauma from her own perspective. She's written and, and directed most of these episodes herself and it's it's really her own story. It's not necessarily written from the lens of someone that doesn't have her experience. So, um, which is a lot of what we do see whenever anything about you know trauma is discussed. I think that's definitely what makes it, you know, what made it stand out for me is that I knew that it would immediately be relatable in a way that I don't think I've seen in in anything else really. Um, you know, specifically broaching that subject. Yeah, I think. I'd have to agree there. I think it just felt very lived in. And I think that you could really only write this from a place of kind of knowing it. And I think the comedy style as well reflected on that, right? Like it was funny because she was speaking from a place of personal experience and she couldn't have had the room to be able to laugh at some of the experience. Um, whereas I think if you kind of write jokes like that into something that's like a kind of fabricated tale to somewhat... Uh, I don't think the comedy would hit or it wouldn't feel as appropriate. Like I, I found myself like, you know, going from a place where I was really happy and really enjoying the show and laughing out loud to a place where I was, Oh, I'm really disturbed by this. And I'm, and I don't know how I feel about, cause I was laughing earlier. So, and I think that's a, it's a hard thing to do in a show with this serious subject matter, because I think a lot of times like it can feel forced. It can feel, inappropriate but everything here felt natural it felt like a natural progression and I think it was almost like she was kind of doing her grieving process or her healing process through writing this and through acting in this and through directing it and through like you know every everything she did to make this come to life was part of her healing process and like you could feel that from the other side of the screen it's an interesting idea this idea like her you know, the content bringing you into almost a false sense of security 
through enjoyment and you know getting into the you know the bounciness of the dialogue and the the back and forth and then all of a sudden it just moves into super uncomfortable territory um i think that's obviously by design i think that's also very effective i really like how it was a multi-faceted look you know at the idea of consent because it also i think you know, we have her experiences as a woman, as a as a heterosexual woman, but then also, I was really also thought it was interesting how they explore Kwame's kind of situation with it, with his experience, uh, you know, with rape or sexual assault, but also his, when he's sleeping, we you know, when he's looking to sleep with the woman and... Um, he doesn't tell her she's gay. She almost feels like there was some consent not given there. For me, that is the the part that not a lot of people try to attack is the is the is the both sides of it and trying to explain it from multiple angles. How do you think that was executed in this? Well, I also think you have to bring up and, and explain those uh, examples and those are kind of Kwame centric examples. Even Terry's examples of what happened in Italy when she was with uh, yes. the two men who pretended that they didn't know each other to sleep with her and to, to initiate a threesome. And she kind of comes away scarred by it. But I, I think that as the show progresses, she doesn't realize she's scarred by it until it's kind of pointed out to her that like by also another kind of consent kind of thing where like she's on a date with a trans person and she doesn't feel comfortable, but she kind of can't say it. So I think there's a lot of nuance uh, there. Yeah, I think that's what I like the most about it is just the ways that it was nuanced and it really, it really fucked with the grays in that sense, in that, in that, like, I liked the episode, I believe it was on, um, I think it was called The Alliance, um, and it was kind of throwing back to when Arabella and, and Terry were in high school, and you're seeing like you're almost seeing the evolution of how we think about consent and how we think about assault because when you're thinking about that particular episode in their mind at the time they were like you know 14 or 15 what happened to the girl it was like oh well that's not assault like she's loose or she's whatever and but you're you know obviously as an adult you can reflect and understand that even though she allowed it at, in the end she was clearly coerced you know what i mean so just i i enjoyed that it showed also like the evolution of like okay this is how you think when you're like in high school and then also race plays a you know a role in that because she lied at the end of the day but um what transpired between her and and the guy was wrong at the end of the day but when you're in high school you don't really you don't look at things that way but obviously as she got as um you know Ter as Arabella specifically got older you start to your mind starts to change on things and you learn things and you experience things so that's what i liked about it it showed like how nuanced it is and like even how the same person can have vastly different ideas about the same subject like 10 or 15 years apart uh, yeah i think i really i really enjoyed that uh the part with theo because I, I felt super relatable to my own high school experience to ideas of consent and to it being in that era when like you start to get into cell phones and uh, capturing um, images or like backhandedly or sneakily doing that. And then you have uh, the race issue with Theo accusing him and, and Arabella and, and um, Terry kind of coming to his aid and making it into a race issue. And yes, Theo lied, but also you're right. Like you said, like consent was, consent was also a factor and was broken. Um, 
and those are both hard issues to tackle and then to to compound those issues together uh it just kind of there's no like you know there's no uh i want to say a good guy in the scenario but it's like you said it's gray like it's a very morally gray area where you know there's both there's wrongs on both sides and you know maybe one wrongs worse than the other or whatever but they're both issues that um are very hard to talk about and they're very hard to address and they both are big factors in adolescence and in growing up and in dealing with uh racial strife and in dealing with sexual assault um and i feel like they really connect to a lot of millennials right because there was a time when there wasn't like a cell phone camera that could capture these images or there's a time like you know race might not have played into it in the same way so i think it just felt very natural and it felt, um, yeah, it just connected, I think, really personally with me. I think you both make very good points about that kind of both speak to the evolution of consent. And because, I mean, you have, uh, first of all, that episode is incredible. We're going to talk about favorite episodes a little later, but um, that episode is absolutely incredible. The flashback from a character standpoint as well, because you're seeing them, you know, them interact. But, you know, you have consent evolving you know from from childhood to adulthood but then also you have terry who at the time of where she has the threesome she has that look on her face as she's you know walking watching them go away kind of see that there's misgivings but then at the end as more ideas about consent get revealed to the character she begins to realize what happened like she internally i guess felt that there was something wrong but didn't didn't know if that was just like self-shaming and then when she realizes that the information comes out that kind of makes her realize what she was feeling instinctively at the time i mean i thought that was really well done and like those are the kind of nuances that don't exist in these kind of discussions because as i said like you lose when you turn it into when i say kind of like a morality play it's it's almost like there's generic plots that are put together in in the way some of these things in um, mainstream television are portrayed and you kind of you lose it and it just becomes emmy bait or something like that and i just really thought the way they did this was good um, one of the other things uh, you know it kind of really explored which I think this was the kind of the biggest thing because it's their ability, it's her ability to turn uh, these things into, you know, plot points and almost motifs with the writing. I mean, I feel like the show better demonstrates intersectionality than any written description, you know, ever could. Um, you know, they not only, it's not, as I said, it's not only displayed, but it becomes a theme and a motif of the show. I mean, what did you think about that aspect of the show? I think, like, even alluding to what you said earlier, too, about, like, um, the intersectionality and, and I, I also wonder, like, could this show be written, you know, could you make it an American version of this show? And it's not to say that it's not uh, talented American writers out there. It's to say that, like, I think some of this stuff is maybe easier or there's a bit more room in the kind of maybe the British or the Commonwealth to kind of talk about these issues in a way that's not as attached to certain baggage that I think exists in the American lexicon in the way that we talk about Emmy bait too. I think if you make an American version of the show, it, it, be, it kind of turns into that really quickly. Whereas there's more room that I found in this to kind of not do these hard line things where it's like, okay, like maybe if you write an American version of this, like Simon did it or, 
you know, it's like one way or the other. These characters become very, like, much more flat. Where I found all these characters are so, have so many dimensions and so many sides to them. And there's not, like, you know, you're not really, like, rooting for any of them in, in certain ways. It's like these kind of characters all just are real people. I definitely think the end would have been different. Yeah, I think so. I don't think you could give that open an ending in an American, like, Emmy Bait type show. I don't know why I can't visualize it as being anywhere else like I feel like where it's located is like it's so much a part of the story and like I, I saw this other I saw this article a few weeks ago about how you know even just something as nuanced as how how black British it is like specifically like talking about you know the slang that they use and the way that they kind of like banter with each other it's like you know specific people are able to see themselves within that you know that them all having immigrant backgrounds and how that plays out in terms of their dynamics with their families and maybe the dynamics that they have with the subject matter um and you know notions of shame and 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 family honor that may not exist in other spaces as much and even something as simple as like arabella being able to like casually dip to italy whereas you know when you set this in america that's like a long ass it's a bigger deal than being from london and like you can just like dip over in like less than six hours i'm assuming it's, it's like a nine month planned trip here in north america yeah exactly exactly like it's like, it's like a huge deal to like yeah. tr like travel in that way versus like when you're already in europe like they go to italy for like the weekend so we're gonna go check out a soccer match and we're just flying there for the weekend yeah exactly so it's like it's it um i don't know like it just creates these really specific things that i don't think could exist in other spaces one thing I thought that was really interesting is when she says that she spent her whole life thinking of herself as a black person, and then now all of a sudden she's thinking of herself as a woman. And I, like, I thought that, I think what I like, the reason why I thought it was better, better than any description is I think good art deals in feelings and that's how they're able to convey, like as a white male, I have no clue what um, the pers personal experiences of intersectionality are, other than being um, in a very privileged intersectionality. I mean, but what I liked is she's she makes you feel certain things, and it's the best thing you can do having not experienced it to understand it. And I, I really think this, I feel like this has a certain audience, but I think that that audience is more limited to the... Um, artistic aesthetic and not necessarily the subject matter or who's in it because there's just universal ideas that are really put in together with it and you know that line you, you know like what did you think what did you think of that line especially Sajay you know you know for for you like did that kind of touch home like have you had that experience in terms of you know the way you think yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, there is a lot of, sometimes there can be a tugging of, of one side or the other of your identity in terms of kind of where your loyalty lies or um, what is the thing that impacts your experience the most. And then, you know, you get to a point where you, you start to understand that both of those things are so intertwined that you can't, you can't separate them. And I think, yeah, like, there, there's definitely certain spaces where your race is going to be way more at the forefront of the conversation you know or at the forefront of your experience depending on where you are maybe depending on how old you are and just different things and then you know it might kind of shift especially I, I think specifically when you're talking about things like sexual assault and and black women like there's just I'm not sure I wish I knew the exact numbers and that's my that's fault on my part but 
I don't know how much, how many more times it is, but like, you know, black women are several times more likely to be sexually assaulted in their lifetime, you know, than women of other races. So I think it's just, it can be like such a jarring realization when you're like, okay, I'm already dealing with this one fight over here. And now there's like this other shit happening too. And then kind of those things crashing together. So yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely something that I related to and understood immediately when she said it. Also, you know, we have Terry going through her experience. Her, I really kind of see this is one of the things where you can see where I mean, in in, in interviews, I mean, I've been reading a lot of interviews and watching a lot of interviews with Michaela Cole. And she was, you know, she talks a lot about her experience as an actor and an artist of color in, you know, in obviously a, a white dominated industry. And I feel a lot of that in Terry's character, like when you're seeing these like microaggressions, talking about her hair and all these things. And just like, you know, just being the white people who are in charge of casting, being like insensitive about how they bring it up. I, I, I feel like that really comes out of personal experience. Like, how do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's definitely something that like, you know, those are probably things that happened to her as, as, you know, as an actress, as a young actress. And I'm sure those are, you know, all those experience ended, ended up with her deciding to take control and be like, okay, I'm just gonna make my own, create my own shows and do my own things and not, you know what I mean? So I think, those are very likely experiences that she had that she injected into the show. Um, and I, and kind of going, building on that, I think learning that this was an experience that she had, I like after chewing gum, I think was jarring for me too, because I think people have in their mind when, you know, when you make it, I guess, whatever make it means to different people. But like, there's almost like this idea that like, you're insulated or you're you're safer from these things happening to you which is like i mean it's obviously it's not true because we're kind of understanding we're like what two years after the beginning of the me too movement and all these things all these stories coming out of obviously women that were already successful but i think it was still jarring to me because it just didn't seem like something that should happen to you after you've you know, made reach a certain level of success. So that's something that was I was thinking about during the whole show as well. Yeah, I think that definitely like plays a part in both their stories and their parallels and like the kind of like character of her being a Twitter a Twitter famous writer and Terry being like a you know on the come up actor. It plays into that, and I think I agree with you, Sajay, that like when I initially like heard the story, I was like completely like shocked and taken aback. I was like, how does that happen to somebody who kind of made it? And then you really do have to like, at least as a guy, I have to like stop myself and say that like, no, it happens to people at no matter your age, your success, you're like, it's, it's just happening left, right and center. And um, there's nothing that's stopping it or, or going to like not make that happen to women because there's just the threat of men at all times. Um, and there's no kind of safety bubble that you could reach in terms of um, success that will insulate you from that. So, yeah, I think that I, I found it super shocking to hear that it was after chewing gum and to hear that it was like a real experience that happened to her. And I think that made the show even more kind of gritty, but also more grounded. I think, you know, Sajay, you brought up, an, you know, an excellent point where it kind of forces actors of color and women to create their own worlds for them to live in. And I think that this, you know, 
the unfortunate prejudice might have one good product byproduct in that um, it's pro probably creating a generation of really talented and you're going to see this moving more and more forward you know an even greater number of talented black artists um who are creators and demand and we're going to get more into like the demands on the industry as you know as a result of her struggle but i mean as more opportunities come up and more people see the the talent that is coming out of you know their own community look how good this is look how good jordan peele's stuff is look how good ryan coogler's stuff is um shaka king is coming up and fantastic like i think what you're going to see is a, a whole generation of empowered talent to just really really attack the industry and i hope and the result has been amazing content i just i think that is an inevitability yeah i mean that's that's the the plus side of it. I think, you know, I always hear this saying, if in order for you to be something, you have to see it. I just think that as a community, we're just kind of used to making lemonade out of lemons. So it's, it's definitely the one positive flip side of it. I'm just thinking about myself and kind of everyone that I know that's kind of in different DIY spaces. And it's like, it's the same, it's the same story at kind of almost at every level. So, um, I, yeah, I can just, I just say, I hope it continues. Well, there's also Kwame's experience, both being black and gay. And I think that this is a really, this is really well established when he goes into the police station to talk about how he was sexually assaulted. And mm -hmm. because it's like, you're dealing as, you know, you're a black person dealing with the cops and then you're a gay person trying to explain that and a male trying to explain that you've been, you know, sexually assaulted and just like the sheer not giving a fuck that that cop has and the um callousness and just aloofness in, re in regards to his pain it's like immediately when he's in there you feel uncomfortable I, I just thought they did such a really good job making him feel isolated and alone in that scene um not just you know visually because obviously he's alone but in terms of the looks on his face, the nonverbal communication. It was just, I thought it was so well done. I, I thought it was also interesting too with that is that he kind of has his experience and he's also trying to support, he's also trying to support Arabella through her experience and he feels kind of invalidated in his own experience and that he can't really share that with her because he feels like his experience doesn't quite match up or he feels maybe it's not as important. So he's kind of dealing with that in the background to Arabella, kind of living her experience out loud. And I thought that was an interesting way of tackling that too. Cause I think that happens to a lot of people. Right. And I think there's, you know, different levels of sexual assault or, or, you know, what people consider different levels, but it all affects us the same. Um, and some people feel like their sexual assault might not be, Oh, it wasn't, uh, quote-unquote rape or it wasn't you know this or it wasn't that but all these things are you know fall under the scale or somewhere on um on the scale of sexual assault and they all are all damaging in the same in different ways i think that's something that has like a lot of nuance too and i thought that was just kind of heartbreaking and heart-wrenching to watch him kind of go through it by himself and later on with terry but also very interesting to see it kind of how he plays it differently than Arabella's and how it affects him differently. Yeah. And um, I'm just actually just realizing what you're saying in that, like, even when he goes to the police station, he asks, like, does that count as, you know, as, as, as assault, as rape? So there's just all these moments. And I think 
sometimes people will have experiences and literally not until it could be months, sometimes it's years. And you think back to a particular experience and you're like, oh, like that was like blurry consent wise or like that. Like, you know, I, I didn't, I don't remember saying yes to that kind of thing. So I think that was, that was an important part too. And then, you know, like we were saying earlier with Terry and her kind of like, you know, realizing, but like not realizing that what happened to her was like kind of messed up. And yeah, just kind of showing the nuance of like how these things can happen in such varying degrees, but they're, they kind of all fall under the same umbrella. I thought you mentioned the, the when you brought up how he was dealing with, um, you know, Bella's situation, I thought that was kind of like a really good example of how these things are like expertly put into the script because they're using that to create dramatic irony because he's uh he's suffering through this in silence and they're talking about it and they're kind of like hey you know she's going through this you know give her some you know room to act you know irrationally or whatever and he's just kind of there taking it because he hasn't told anybody yet so you know we know that they don't and then you're just again seeing him suffer in silence and i think that just the way she was able to craft this script to really kind of embrace the experiences of everyone involved and how they you know and how they feel and like it's 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 really empathetic and i i i thought it was like it was phenomenal i can't see like people are saying this is the a lot of critics are saying that this is the best show of the year so far and like these are examples of how i kind of completely agree with that because um it's just everything is so economic and put in there and just from like a sheer like removing all the you know thematic discussions and everything and just from like a sheer filmmaking point of view um t you know television crafting point of view uh it's it's really honestly maturity beyond her years and um it, it's quite incredible yeah, I would say like like you said, it's economical. There's like almost nothing wasted. There's nothing shown on the screen or or in one episode that doesn't really directly translate to another episode or or tell or, or is part of the same kind of storytelling tradition or kind of tells you, uh, you know how this character is impacted. Like, and I thought like when they got into the flashbacks, I kind of like I was like, oh, where is this going? Why do we need these flashbacks? But the flashbacks contribute so much to telling where Arabella and Terry are at now um, to kind of the things that Arabella experienced in her youth that kind of have sat with her even when she goes to kind of sit with her dad or she's waiting on her dad and stuff like that it's just all very it's all linear and it all contributes to the story on a larger scale how do you feel about the way it ended oh um I, it's, it's weird because I didn't realize that, like, what was happening wasn't actually happening until, like, the third go-around, where I was yeah. like, oh, like, Same this, these are, like, yeah, like, these are, like, like, kind of, like, dream sequences in a way, but at the very end, and then when I, and then when I remembered what the episode was called, it made sense. That's right, yeah. good call, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, kind of going back to what Coburn was saying about, like, this was obviously like a you know cathartic, pro a cathartic process for her to even write this probably. It, I think the last episode was almost kind of her working through, 
you know, what she would do, what she wish she could do, maybe what she knows um, are, are emotions that she has that are tied to other things. Yeah, I just thought it was really, I just thought it was really powerful. And I think I'm sure anyone that's been through that has goes through those same emotions where, you know, they would love to get revenge on that person. They would love to, you know, make sure that that per make that person hurt as much as they were hurt. So I, I just thought it was a really interesting way to end it. And then it also ended pretty ambiguously where she just like, you know, she, she didn't go back to the bar. She like, doesn't, she doesn't have any resolve that we can see, but I think that that in, that in and of itself was the resolve. Yeah. I would say like, I feel like a lot of people have issues with the open ending shows because I think a lot of us are, are just conditioned, whether through like, watching disney or whatever we grew up on to like okay the shows have an end we know like this is it so watching it and then having it like the story kind of stop and start over again it was confusing to me at, at, at parts like i definitely watched the episode at least three times to kind of get a sense of what was going on but yeah i definitely found like she, it, like yeah i think she was probably it was a somewhat catharsis for her i, I think i spent the whole show thinking that Simon was somehow more involved than he was, or he was culpable for it at some point. And I think they kind of like did this thing where they kind of threw you off his scent. And then they kind of like brought it back in because Simon and Terry had this kind of secret together. So I, I was expecting him to kind of be like the big bad or like more involved at the end and not just kind of in the way that he was, where he was kind of like, yeah, he's not a good guy, but he didn't do this. And he wasn't like part of what happened to her in that way I, I thought it was a it thought it was fantastic and I thought it was a really well done ending I I think it was it left me like kind of questioning like a lot you know like it left me questioning consent it left me questioning like uh resolve like I you know I kind of want to know like what's happening with Henny House she lost her book deal like you know like things aren't really like going her way but like that's really not what the show was about she reconnected with that other author who had also sexually assaulted her um which i thought was also that was a part that was really well done as well so i didn't see that one yeah coming. i think the ending it kind yeah i didn't see that coming either uh so yeah i think the ending just blew me away and i kind of still don't really know what to make of it because i think i just have a lot of feelings and i want i think i want an, a definite answer but i don't think there is one and i don't think she's gonna have one and i don't think we as an audience get one or maybe we don't deserve one too i think that it's not really about the ending it's more about the journey it was more about all this little steps and all these little nuances that made up what the show was and what her experience was more so than it is about hey this is the guy who sexually assaulted her let's wrap it up in a neat bowl because yeah. like we know now with with the cops and all this stuff like they don't solve a lot of these things and and after a while they don't care to or they can't or whatever it is so this is another one of those times and those stories right and like life is not neat like life doesn't have an, a neat way of like you know well let's tie up all these strings that is probably what ha what would happen in real life maybe you would cross paths with them again later in life and the things that you think you would do in that moment maybe you would be frozen or be too traumatized to do anything or you know what I mean so I think it's a reflection of what life is like because life doesn't have clean endings I I like that uh, 
you know, alluding to the red herrings because I feel like the whole thing is red herrings because you are expecting a big baddie, you know, kind of. You know, she, she said that when she was writing the show, the people at the production company suggested a more uh, quote-unquote satisfying ending where she confronts the rapist and exacts revenge, you know, and she said she looked into that and was like, okay, but did it in her own way. But the way she did it kind of laughs in the face of that. And I like that this became amusing on the absence of closure and trauma and that sometimes you just move on and i kind of think you did get the ending because the red herring is that there's going to be a big baddie but the idea is that the the enemy is the trauma itself and the ability uh for it to cripple your life because as uh, uh, you know you guys were saying like things aren't things don't aren't perfect and in a situation as horrific as the one that she went through like given with police and all the different stuff they put her through, like finding that individual is bad. So what happens is it's the moment that like rep it's the, what it represents for your life and how it's stopping you from living and completing, you know, and like fulfilling your excellence, you know? And I think, I think you do get the Hollywood ending in that she finishes the book, which I found as an artist, very satisfying in that because, you know, uh, although I hate using the word artist because it's a little, uh, whimsical <laughs> you know what I mean like I really like that she did that because you saw her going through that process and the writer's block and everything else in her life is kind of weighing in on it and like stuffing it in and then you know she has that eureka moment and I, I, I like that they did a little bit more of a surreal element to the ending of it because I think it would have been too like when it was the first like remember when you, she was going through the first situation and you're like, okay, this is getting a little bit ridiculous. And you're like, is this how it's going to end? And then you're like, oh, it's another. And then you, and then you, I kind of saw the, you know, the other fantasy sequences. But I mean, they were interesting too because in one of them, she is like sympathetic and like having a tender relationship, you know, w with the rapist. And I thought it was just a very interesting way to take such a studio suggestion and then just like turn it in on itself. Mm-hmm. If we were to break down our favorite episode, what do you, what do you think it would be? Hmm. It's a. I don't. I don't. Like I like the. I think I like the alliance. I think I connected to the alliance the most, and I think I liked that they showed these different perspectives, and you got to see Theo's home life, and you got to see this intimate moment that got turned into uh, sexual assault that then got turned into a he said, she said type thing. And then there's race that came into it. Um, I think that episode really like uh, surprised me and blew me out of the water there. Um, like I want to say the ending episode was super important to me, but I think that is, I'd probably have to kind of pull myself back and maybe watch that like a lot more to be able to say that it was like a definitive favorite for me. I think when she goes back to Italy, I, th I found super important because I think it was kind of like the demise of maybe some of her sanity and some of, you know, her kind of like getting things back on track. And when um, uh, B uh, Biagio locks her out, I found that super, uh, I just, I was so tense and, you know, you kind of think she shows up and she like gets in and she brings a pizza or she goes to get the pizza. And then it just like, it just turns the whole thing around. And I think I felt empathy for Biagio at the beginning of the show. And then by that part, I was like, oh, what is he doing? Like, I thought he was like, you know, he kind of ended up going to get the DNA test and like, maybe he's going to 
you know, be there and comfort her, but he's just not that guy, and he wasn't going to do that, and he pulls a gun on her, and it's, it's very traumatizing, traumatic, and it, it, I think it shows the ways that, you know, the people that you think you can count on in these moments, or the people that you think that, like, are going to be there for you, fail you, or can't be there, or aren't the people that you think they are, and there wasn't really, like, other than Terry, and Terry kind of has her own secrets, there's not really anyone who's all the way there for Arabella, and she's kind of going through it on her own for the most part, um, and she's doing the best she can, and she's kind of warring with all these different sides of her kind of needing money, and Henny House, and her publishers, uh, or, or so her literary agents, and it kind of all implodes around what, what is happening. Yeah, um, I think... Uh, I think my my favorite episode would be the alliance, just kind of for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. Just in the fact that, like, you know, they just took this really nuanced approach to, you know, like I said, ideas around around sexual assault and kind of like how they evolve and how they would naturally evolve. You know, I definitely remember being in high school and I probably would have thought and said and did those exact same things. You know, particularly especially when you kind of add in the race aspect and and I think that that is an important discussion to have because there is a history of false accusations against black men and kind of how those things have played out for them sometimes to deadly ends. So I think um, it kind of really speaks to sometimes to the detriment of black women, but like kind of this fierce uh, fealty or loyalty that we feel in terms of like protecting black men and believing them and, um, and then you kind of get older and those things skew a little bit and, you know, your your loyalties may have to lie in different places. So I think that was a really, for me, that was a, my favorite episode just because it, it really would force someone to kind of confront all of those things. For me, it's either that episode or the Italy one. Like, I have them as the one and two. Uh, probably because, like, the one in Italy, I think it hits on this very common situation of meeting someone we, on, we know when you're on vacation. You strike, you strike up a romance, you go back to your own air, you know, places, and then you have this idealized version of continuing that relationship and what it would be. But then it becomes, like, it gets twisted and becomes this avenue for discussing victim shaming, where he's trying to say it's his, it's her fault, she should be, she shouldn't drink so much, she should watch her drink, she shouldn't do this, and she shouldn't do that, and, you know, it just turns out a little differently. I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to think of what my expectations were of that, like, okay, she's met Biagio, then how do, like, how is this going to play out? I don't think I saw it quite coming down like that until he did it. And then I'm like, okay, I see where this is going. And I thought another, that's like, again, another thing that's, you know, really expertly done, including another element without it being forced in. The Alliance was such a good episode too, though. I, I'm, I'm a sucker for the uh, flashback episode. So I liked it because you also got to see them as, you know, kids and what they were like. And it kind of like informed, you know, their relationship when they were, you know, when they were older. And, you know, it, it, it I enjoy when it goes into characters' personal histories. And I just thought the way she was able to put the racial implications into that. And, and it's funny because like, it's such a serious episode, but at times the interaction between the girls is so funny because they're acting like kids. You know what I mean? And I, I think that's. You know, I think that was really cool. And then I probably, you know, the opening episode I thought was 
fantastic as well. But I'd probably say the Italy episode. I think that, you know, that's kind of a nightmare situation. Like getting locked out, you know, and she he pulls a gun on her. And it's like everything she had dreamed that this relationship was going to be um, didn't end up panning out. And, you know, I mean, I, I feel like at the end of it, she's got a kind of, you know, just her her dealings with men during this entire thing have been um, just not not great. And I, I thought uh, the ability to, to, to work that in was just really great. Kind of the last thing I want to discuss, and this is kind of a bigger thing just about Cole's career in general. I mean, one reason she didn't accept a deal with Netflix for I May Destroy You is their ref refusal to offer her a percentage of the copyright. And you hear this more and more. I mean, Prince turned his name into a unpronounceable symbol as a result of this, which at the time I was like, that's intense. And then now I'm like, I completely fucking get it because you're artistic. Like if you're an, if you're any kind of artist, what you create is the only commodity you have. And it's like your only investment. What does this mean for a new generation of female, you know, females of color breaking into the industry? This is like, for me, the player empowerment thing. Like, what do you think? Yeah, I think it will, it, it will just only make, you know, future generations of creatives more empowered and more certain that they can do that. Because I feel like, um, you know, the discussion has been about representation and, and, you know, trying to find a seat at this particular table for so long that I think creators are starting to realize that they don't need a seat at anyone else's table. They can just build their own. So I think it's, it's, it's such an important and, and great example that I can only hope that black, you know, black creatives, particularly black female creatives, only look at that and be like, okay, I can do this. I don't have to shrink myself and accept, you know, the leftovers. I think, you know, even earlier this year is kind of a really good example of kind of this lip service that comes along with talking about representation and kind of like, okay, well, you know, you can have this spot, but like you don't actually have any power. You know, thinking about all the companies that posted their black squares and, you know, talked about promises to hire more black people or do this or do that. And, you know, most of them haven't done anything, but the few, you know, maybe that fell through, that followed through with it. Are these people, are you hiring people that are feeling empowered or are you just kind of filling a quota and filling seats? Um, you know, so I think a lot of black creators are kind of starting to un understand the tokenism that's involved where it's like, cool, they let me in the building, but I can't own anything that I make. They, you know what I mean? So I think it'll be an important lesson hopefully for future generations to be like, okay, cool. I'm going to just pull this from Netflix or pull this from whatever streaming service and do it myself and, or continue to have the power to shop around because maybe there's another home for it, or maybe you just have to do it yourself. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting to look at, and I think like obviously this is BBC first and foremost, and um, it's interesting with BBC or British forward shows is it's a bit more common to have artists um, have ownership or bigger ownership stake in it than it is on the American side of things. But then to look at the HBO deal that they did to kind of bring it over to the states and and whatever, um, and then to look at like. You know, you have Misha Green at HBO now. You have Issa Rae at HBO now. You have Michaela Cole doing a show at HBO. So you have three black women in prominent positions, you know, show running, creating their own shows. And they're all, like, I think 
the best shows that I've seen on HBO this year, or, or at least a, like among them, or at least top five, they're all there. I mean, that's murderer's um, row of shows. Like those shows are fucking fantastic, you know. And they, yeah, they should all should get Emmys next year, for, as far as I'm concerned. So I think it's it's interesting to look at that, and then to look at you know, so Netflix has kind of has their own platform for it, and they have you know some creators they've given Ava a deal, they've given you know some certain other black creators a deal. But what does that mean and how far is that reaching and how far does that go? There's no ownership involved or, or long-term copyright. Well, I think it's it's going back to like a very, you know, basic economic principle when it comes to black people and the economy and being left out of just like capitalism in general, right? I mean, if you're looking at the shut up and dribble crowd, you know, people are like, okay, they're making millions of dollars and it's like, okay, like... Sorry, Chris Rock had this joke where he's like, Shaq is rich, person, old white person who signs Shaq's check is wealthy. If just because you're peeling off some money doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? People have to own what they own. Like, again, Prince was rich, but he's still... You can't have someone own what you just created when that's your only thing. You know what I mean? You have to, you have, to have a stake in it. You have to feel empowered within it. And then... And you get that idea of of tokenism. Um, not trying to plug something we just dropped. Our we talk in our latest episode of Plated that we dropped. We interview Suzanne Barr, uh, one of Toronto's great chefs, and she talked about a lot of frustration about like being like just tokenism and how her being talented and her being you know black and you know people just want the PR hire. If you're looking, I mean, at the shows you just mentioned, Coburn, I mean, if you remove them from HBO right now, um, Succession isn't fucking back yet. And neither is Barry, so they, they're they thin. And uh, Lovecraft is fantastic. Issa Rae, uh, first of all, she was under, at the very beginning, under the tutelage of the great Larry Wilmore. And, you know, she's become a tour de force. Fucking Insecure is a fantastic show. And it's funny. And, um, you know, like, you have to people have to be invested. Like they would never ask a middle-aged white guy to not have ownership percentage or an executive producer credit on their show. Like that would be a non-starter. And the, when you have talents like Michaela, like Michaela Cole, that's a miss out for Netflix because in this uh, streaming wars, in this whole race to you know, especially with the the death struggle with HBO to find who can both get platform and talent together, losing someone of her talent is not a good business decision. You know what I mean? And, and they're going to, and these these successful shows can be leveraged, and that's how like Ava DuVernay. And fucking Shonda Rhimes, you know, made bank is that they said, listen, I got the juice. And if you want it, this is what I want. And Michaela Cole and fucking um, Issa Rae, you know, and Misha Green as, as well. Like these are going to be power brokers moving forward because what they're putting out is of such a high quality. So if you're a streaming, if you're a streaming show, you can't afford to let this talent go away. You can't just be chasing J.J. Abrams like this is the future. You have to also be thinking about the fucking future as well. I, th- I think my thing about even it being on Netflix, though, is uh, even all those shows listed, I don't think I'd want them all in a, like, a, I'd, I'd, I need a week to week. Like, I think, I don't think I could, like, even though this came out earlier and you could you could stream it if you wanted to, because BBC had it out in July, I don't know if I would have enjoyed the show in the same way or been able to process it in the same way if the show 
dropped all at once on Netflix because it's a, it's a heavy show. I think you need that week to process or to sit with it or to watch it again. Like, yeah, I think I, I watched feel, every episode at least twice. I feel like the only reason I could binge watch this is because the episodes overall aren't that long, which is another really fucking smart choice. I, you know, I mean, I think that everything is so lean. Only HBO, H, like HBO can get away with the drip feed now because of the, the level of quality of their show. And their shows are event viewing. You know, um, Netflix, if I see a show that's re uh, released weekly on Netflix, my fucking eye twitches. I'm like, why? I want it all now. You have created this expectation, yeah. Netflix. Give it to me fucking now. Right. So, I mean, like, I, I, I think that, you know, this is... Like, it's gonna, what this is, is it, it drives up the market for talented black women in, in the industry. And that's what they, you know, that's what they need. And, like, you can go pretty high. Look at Shonda Rhimes is, she's wealthy. She is fucking rich and she's talented. She's got uh, mad syndication. Uh, she knows what's going on. I even fucking she took her master class. Overall, overall deal with Netflix too, right, uh, Shonda? Yeah. Yeah, see, the Netflix was smart to get on that. But see, the thing is, though, and this is why I think it's kind of insidious, is because Shonda Rhimes has such clout that they absolutely can't fuck with her. You know, Michaela Cole doesn't have that yet, but they still got fucky with it, which I think is... Yeah, well, I think it was beautiful that she also realized, like, her agents were involved. And, like, you know, she, like, cleaned house. She's like, you guys are all trying to profit behind my back. Like, see you guys later. I know, I believe in my self-worth. I know what I have here. I'm going to do it myself. I don't need you guys. I don't want your hand in my pocket. Goodbye. So, Shay, do you ever encounter, like, do you ever encounter that, like, personally, like, when you're going out into the entertainment industry, the writing, just, like, the idea of bringing in, you know, the to like the tokenism? Like, are you, like, have you ever been affected by that personally? Oh, yeah, of course. I think, um, oh, like, there's just been so many instances where there have been industries where I kind of felt completely locked out of. Um, and then, you know, maybe by happenstance, like, like, for example, I was working at a creative agency for a period of time and it was like, you know, I was the only black person there, you know, when we go to meetings, I was often like the only black person, like on any of the teams or any of the clients that they had. So yeah, I think, um, it almost forces you to do like extra additional work because I'm doing, you know, the work that I'm, that I'm being paid to do, but now I'm also like a diversity consultant because like, you know, the workplace is not, you know, there's sensitivities and there's things that you were like, Oh, like, is this offensive? Or what, like, what does this mean? Or like, so now I'm like doing additional work at this point. So, um, I've, yeah, I've definitely had that experience. Where white pe yeah. Where white people are trying to clear what they just said with you. Uh, yeah. I don't think you, yeah. I don't think, I think you just got to, I think that's one thing you start realizing as a white person having you know, being having very close relationships, you know, with black people is that you can't just be asking all these questions. On that note, guys, I think uh, we need to get going. Sajay, thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for having me. And Coburn, uh, as always, a pleasure. Always good. All right, guys, take it easy. Talk soon. All right, guys, thanks again for listening. Special thanks to Sajay Elder for coming out and talking about the show. If you like what you just heard, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow The Mind Refinery on social media. We'll talk to you soon.